You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 350 of Video Monsters. And someone should tell us, our podcast is showing. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. I'm Dan. (laughs) And tonight we are talking about The Creature from the Black Lagoon, one of my all-time favorite movies. A movie that we have discussed on the podcast before and that we're going to discuss again because that's what we're doing in tonight's episode. Okay. Yes. Can I can I interrupt for one second? No. Because what was the reference you were making? Our podcast is showing. Is that a creature from the Black Lagoon reference, or is that yes. just general innuendo? No, that is a reference to dude. We were gonna get into this when we get to it uh, in the episode when we talk about some of the like gender roles and like uh, machismo of this movie. And there's the one line where um uh, uh um what's his name um Mark. Oh, shit no uh, David uh, yes no. Where Richard Carlson says about the other David. guy, someone should tell him that his ambition is showing. Oh, okay. I didn't there, catch that. I've only seen this movie two times in my life. So there was an actual reference because that was shortly after uh, uh, Mark. Was that? I don't. I don't remember some of their actual names. But after he uh, he has his spear gun and makes a very phallic quasi rape culture joke with it. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. We were gonna get to that within the context of the episode, but no. We're just going to completely derail the beginning of the episode. That just like went right over my head like K goes right over the creature's head. Yeah. Completely derailing the episode with your lack of faith that my intro bullshit has anything to do with the the movie that we're going to be talking about. I I was just curious. I didn't know what it was a reference to. (laughs) Sorry. I'll let you. I'm going to let you finish. (laughs) No, no, no. It's fine. Tonight we're talking about creature, the creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, closing out our Universal Monster series, and I'm I'm sad to see this one go. I've been looking forward to the series for months, and we've only covered three films, and I'm sad. I don't I don't want this to end. Can we just do it <laughs> like Universal Monsters Part Two, July Universal Monsters? <laughs> July Universal? No, sure. <laughs> We gotta get. We gotta move on to musicals. Oh, fine. Uh, yeah. So closing out Universal Monster Month, which we've been covering probably the three best Universal monsters. There's some others that I love just as much as the ones we've been covering. Uh, but if you missed our popcorn punch out, where we decided why these were the three movies that we were covering, Creature from the Black Lagoon actually lost in round one to the Invisible Woman. <coughs> because because i knew that it was the top audience pick and so it advanced uh automatically from being the top pick and we still need to work out those rules because um there there are some details that i still need to work out so that i don't just keep doing that and uh, manipulating things based off of what i want 
Uh, but Creature from the Black Lagoon technically lost in round one to the Invisible Woman. It advanced to the next round, being the top pick from the uh, the audience survey. Then it won in round two against the, the Werewolf of London. And then it won in round three against Dracula's Daughter. And as much as I hate the fact that we're not covering Dracula's Daughter, th- this is the way that it should have gone. It just... It, it is. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's really no way we could have gotten out of this without talking about a Frankenstein film and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, like this, th- these these two just had to be in here. And then, you know, it'd be nice if Dracula's daughter or some kind of outlier was in there. But uh, we got the Invisible Man instead, which, you know, I mean, it was such a bummer of a movie to talk about. But <laughs> yeah, it was just so it, boring. It was terrible. If there, if, if Creature didn't make it, I would have set fire to the whole thing. I would have found <laughs> burned the punch out to the ground. And the creature it, did not make it. It was a very <laughs> risky move too, because as soon as uh, as I did that, I was like, "Oh, right, shit." There's a movie not making it to the next round, and it actually kicked out Frankenstein. Which yeah. I mean, Frankenstein would have lost anyways because Bride was in there. We weren't going to cover Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Although, how great would it have been if we had just done a James Wheel triple feature? That I, I would have been totally fine with that. Those are my uh, those are my favorite movies. Again, I would not have burned it all to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have been sad about this. Dan's like, I don't know if you guys understand this, but this podcast would be crispy, charred yeah. bits and pieces. This would not be happening. It would be over. Well, Little eight-year-old, nine-year-old me that used to spend his summer in the lake pretending I was the creature from the Black Lagoon would have found a way to fucking like, haunt you. Well, <laughs> Falling in love with wayward swimmers. Yeah. <laughs> Chase much, them down. Much like the creature in The Take Creature the Walks Among cave. Us, if you had burned this to the ground, then it would have just, you know, revealed our fleshy undertones where we could have been <laughs> even more human. It would have brought out our soul. Ugh. I know the whole thought if of that have is just one. terrifying. Yeah, like a, it's like a weird fleshiness underneath with skin. And, you know, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Let's really start weird. talking about uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And more than likely, I'm just going to keep dropping the at the beginning of the title. Because I, I don't feel like taking the time to emphasize the Creature from the Black Lagoon. So I don't. There isn't a the in it. Isn't it? Are you sure? It's just Creature from the Black Lagoon. Is it just Creature? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm looking so, at the poster right now. Just creature. All right, good. Yeah, because they, they want you to remember that there are other creatures in that Black Lagoon that are worthy of respect too. You know, he's <laughs> the well, creature from the Black Lagoon. There are others. I, it would I be funny so... if it was a creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> just or some creature from the you know, Black all Lagoon. those humble fish that were just there hanging out and doing their thing. You know? <laughs> Another creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> They're like um, hashtag not all creatures. Well. It's, <laughs> It's a good thing that there's not a the then because I don't know if I have ever said the anywho they should have they should have done with the like thin man uh, naming strategy yeah going with another creature from the black lagoon <laughs> as the sequel <laughs> I, uh, I would have loved creature for the if black there lagoon. had been well I would have loved if there had been like a family of creatures and we got to see like more of that but uh, oh god son of creature with like a little baby creature yeah <laughs> be like be beautiful. Uh, like like baby Godzilla, like little mini Minila. Oh uh, yeah. What would what would the the baby version of the Gilman be? I mean, just a, a tad Gil boy. Gil boy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you say? A tadpole. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. What if he just has like these are all of my children and there's just like a big 
a big net filled with tadpoles. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. See, nowadays, at the end of the movie, that's what it would have pawned. It would have like you know panned down into the into the lagoon, and yeah, you would have seen that like frog egg system. Yeah, <laughs> and that would have been the end of the movie. Uh, or if Roland Emmerich ever got his hands on a creature from the Black Lagoon, that is exactly what would happen. It'd just be like a, a an egg cracking open at the end. Yeah, yeah. We'd have uh, whatever the modern version of Matthew Broderick would be. Uh, um, Freddie Prince Jr. Sure, we'd have Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr. like going and Eddie discovering. Red- that would have been Eddie Redmayne or some shit. Eddie Redmayne would be like the current modern day version of, <laughs> of that. Maybe, maybe like the two thousands modern day version would be Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Look, time has lost all meaning. Anywho, Creature from the Black Lagoon. We should talk about it. Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of my all time favorite movies. I absolutely adore it. It is by far my favorite of the Universal monsters monster not necessarily movie but the monster uh and every single time that i watch it i love it more and more and more it is an environmental flick it is a a home invasion story it is a love story it is horrific it is an action movie it is everything that you could possibly want from a movie just you know filtered through the lens of the 50s so they don't actually show that much in it it is an amazing movie it is entirely original but also a very simple story, and uh, it it should go without question that Video Monsters absolutely recommends Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's uh, it's, it's amazing. I love it. I adore it. Yeah, hundred percent. It is. It's a perfect slice of just pop entertainment. I feel yeah. like. I mean, it's just. It's the kind of movie when I watched it for the first time, I gave it like a three and a half out of five, and you literally scolded me over it, Nathan. Yes, I you were did. Like, <laughs> And this was like, this is probably when we didn't know each other as well either. But you were like, "Are you fucking kidding me, right now?" <laughs> but yeah, like, in my defense, like you had just joined the podcast, and I questioned yeah. my decisions. You're just like, ah, "Are you kidding me? Like, am I really going to go with this dipshit to be on this this podcast with me?" Um, but in my defense, I started watching it at like eleven o'clock at night, and I was really sleepy, and so I was like drifting off, and I kept having to rewind it. And I read my original review that I posted on Letterboxd at the time, and I was like, I, I called the movie slow in my review. And like, <laughs> I, like when I was watching it this time, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I was really out of my mind Man, the first time I watched it. Rewatching it this time, 30 minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, right, this movie's halfway over. Man, this movie is flying by. I forgot how quickly it moves by. And there's not really a whole lot that actually happens. And then the back half of the movie, all the stuff happens. There's so much action. Like you really could have just the last 40 minutes and it would be almost as good of a movie. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I, I agree, but I, I do. I mean, I think the first half is still great and it, it's such a good, it's a movie that I feel like, I think I said something to you guys where it's like, this movie is such a huge inspiration for Steven Spielberg. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. This movie is Jaws and Jurassic Park all rolled into one. It's easily like this great modern blockbuster of its time. And it is so clean in terms of narrative. Like, you always understand exactly what the stakes are in every given situation. Like, you understand exactly who these characters are and why they're there. And, it's just and and the creature as well like you just immediately understand this creature and empathize with it immediately and it tells you like you know so much about it just from its mannerisms and it's it's so so elegantly told i think 
Um, anyway, I'm I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. I do. Oh this no, all the time. no. This that that's what we're doing with this one. Um, in, in in case we need to say this for a movie that is 70 years old, spoilers. There, there's going to be spoilers, but I mean, come on. It came out uh, 68 years ago. Spoilers for it. it, it it's an old monster movie. How can you even spoil it? There's going to be humans. There's going to be a monster. The monster is... Spoiler alert. Do... It begins with the opening passage of the Bible. <laughs> Which, okay, <laughs> we're going to get there. But yeah, this movie can't be spoiled. It's it's a monster movie from the 50s. And and it's everything that you would expect it to, to have and to do. So it is... Yeah, there's, there's no spoilers in it. Um, there, there are a lot, a lot of things that I want to say about this movie. I know that I'm going to be jumping around a little bit as we go through it. There are a ton of things that I want to mention. So I want to start, Dan, with you. Since you were going to burn this place to the ground if we did not cover Creature, I want to make sure that we start with some of the things that you really want us to focus on because, like, for reals, I can jump around all over the place on this. Um, the, the main thing that I want to say before we really start diving into it, and I mentioned this a little bit in my rambling introduction, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. The Creature is hands down my favorite of the monsters in the original <clears throat> Universal Monsters. It is not the best movie. It is not my favorite movie. I think that Bride of Frankenstein is an infinitely better movie. I think that Invisible Man is a better movie. So I think that there are better movies. So if someone out there who uh, who's, has seen Creature and maybe didn't necessarily fully love it, um, what's wrong with you but also i kind of understand from a movie perspective there are some things that i don't think are necessarily done with the same uh, style and panache that uh, that james whale had i think there's enough stuff that makes up for it that we're going to dive into but but yeah the creature itself is easily my favorite creature uh so yeah with, with some of that what are some of the things that you want to make sure that that we focus on you, you, you kind of just talked all about it. You kind of ruined my moment here. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I um, can trim all that out and just go back to Dan. What do you want us to focus on? <laughs> uh, it is 1000% the creature designed by Bill and Patrick. Um, he's so fucking cool. Just, I mean, from like a young boy's perspective, when I saw this, I, I had already kind of seen, you know, I had, you'd seen Frankenstein and Dracula and, fucking Scooby-Doo cartoons and shit like that before you ever see these movies. You know what Dracula looks like. You know what Frankenstein looks like. You know what a wolfman looks like and a mummy. The creature, for some odd reason, did not catch on the way in pop culture that they did. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that he he doesn't really speak ever. So there's And there's no human component to him. But the design of he's just so striking like the moment you see him and they do a great job in this film especially of keeping him off camera as long yeah. as possible you see his hand a whole hell of a lot um, yeah it's a good hand too like the, it's the great, way that it's designed and yeah. like how it can open up and you see the fins between it and everything the membrane and webbed fingers and yeah yeah but uh, that and then really and then with every underwater shot, they're just always focusing kind of off in the distance, right? And you just keep waiting for him to appear and waiting and waiting. 
And then when he finally does appear, it's he's so visually striking that you just like, shit, this thing does not belong in this world. Well, what the hell is this? It's a jump scare. Like you don't yeah. get that oh, yeah. musical sting, at least not as much. But like as they're swimming by, the 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 people just swim past the camera and then up 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 pops the creature. And it's just yep. like, oh holy shit. And like they don't dwell on it. It is I I adore the reveal of the creature because of that. They don't give you like the all right, we're gonna telegraph it so that you know to expect mm-hmm. it. And after he pops up, they don't linger on it. It's just, oh, here's yep. some people swimming, they're underneath the water. You ah, here's the creature. Him to, you expect him to pop up ten times before he actually pops up. Right, yeah. It's it's yeah. so good. That's the whole like kind of Spielberg touch. I feel like is it, it reminds me so much of of what Spielberg does in something like it's not like Jurassic Park where in Jurassic Park he withholds the dinosaurs for a little bit. And that was actually more of the marketing, I guess. But when that happens, it's like this big majestic, like oh my god, there are fucking dinosaurs that are mm-hmm. really how incredible this is. And in this one, it's like. It's so surprising too because it's just like I, one of the divers are just swimming over a bank, and then all of a sudden, creature just pops right out from under the bank. And and I couldn't yeah. remember myself. I was like, oh, I wonder how. I can't remember like exactly when it shows the creature's face for the first <laughs> time. But it doesn't even like it's it's a jump scare, but it doesn't even feel like it makes like a big to do about it at all. Right. It's just like oh, yeah. there's creature face. You kind of yeah. see his hand reach out from under the bank, and then it just cuts straight to a close up of that face coming right out. It's really great. Yeah, the, the little pop-up with it is just, God, it, it, it's so, like, it reminds me of the scene in Jaws when Richard Dreyfus is diving and uh, and that skull falls down. You know, you're not expecting it, and then just all of a sudden, which, uh, Eric, like when you mentioned that you think that this movie was a huge influence on Spielberg, it's little touches like that that I'm like, yep, that absolutely feels like something that influenced the way that Spielberg approached Jaws or the opening scene in Jurassic Park with the Velociraptor attack feels mm-hmm. like the attack of um There's, i guess oh you're talking about in the in creature well no in so in in creature and i guess we should start calling it gilman rather than the creature you know let's refer to it by its actual name but when gilman <laughs> attacks the tent to me yes. that reminded me of in jurassic park the velociraptor attack at the very beginning <laughs> Uh, it oh, that's interesting because I thought of a different scene from Jurassic Park. It, well, it also reminds me of a Spielberg adjacent film, the uh, the the Amazon scene in Arachnophobia, where the uh, spider oh, yeah. kills the person in the tent. So, I, I definitely feel like there's a lot of stuff that influenced uh, Spielberg. What's what's the scene that you were it, thinking of? I, I I even have this written down in my notes. The scene where like it shows the creature go into the tent and you get kind of a POV shot and he like grabs the guy by the face and then it cuts to like the establishing shot of the tent and the tent is just shaking and you can get little glimpses of him like kind of being thrown around. It reminded me so much of the scene with Nedry and the Dilophosaurus. Yeah. When he, he gets in the car and it pops up and then it cuts back and you just see the car shaking like a hundred percent like a straight rip of that scene in Creature of the Black Lagoon. And it's really like it's so impactful when that happens because you just have no idea like like he is ab- you can tell that he's absolutely just massacring these people and yeah. it's really creepy when it happens yeah so effective and uh we're, we're gonna talk about his attacks uh dan you mentioned that you don't know why this one didn't pick on i have two theories or uh take off i, I have two theories and i i don't know how much of this is actually correct uh, i've not done the research on it but my assumption is, um, number one, 
the, the universal monsters, you know, like they're all very gothic. And so they're all very timeless because, yeah, even though we knew what Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, et cetera, look like, we can keep remaking those. And like you can always have a vampire and just put it in a different setting. You can always have, you know, a reanimated corpse and put it in whatever city. The creature has to be around water like that. You know, it limits where it can take place. Minor thing. But because the other universal monsters feel so gothic, it feels like it's easier to keep making them. I I love the fact that Creature from the Black Lagoon is different and that it feels like something that is of a different time and it is so unique and original. But I, I wonder sometimes if that's also part of what hurt it. Um, Both. I mean, I think that's it's a fair assessment because I'm I'm thinking back to when they were Universal's rebooting the Dark Universe. <laughs> I don't believe they had plans for Creature. I don't remember. I, I mean, they like- had cast all these major Hollywood stars of all the other characters from these movies, and I I mean m- maybe Gilman would have, you know, been in there somehow. Yeah, but he wasn't going to be played by Johnny Depp or Harvey or Bardem or you yeah. know, Ooh, he, anybody. He, he could have been Tom Hardy. That would have been a great creature. Well, I mean, <laughs> that creature's going to fuck you up. <laughs> yes, I will. I wonder too if like the Shape of Water kind of takes the wind out of the sails for that. And it's really interesting sure. too because I think originally Del Toro tried to do a creature from the Black. He wanted to just straight up do a remake of Creature. And that they, for whatever reason, they weren't, they wouldn't let him do it. And so he's like, fine, I'll just go make my own movie. Well, mm-hmm. you and, know. and that actually is one of the other things that I think hurt it because it is so unique and because it is so original and because it was a new story from Universal. It was not based off of classic literature. It was not something that they did not own. They owned this one. Yeah. So I think that they were a lot more proprietary over it because you you can go out and make another Dracula story. You can go out and make a you know another vampire story, and you can do all of those things a lot easier. Even if it's not specifically Dracula, even if it's not specifically right. Frankenstein, you can do these other things. Yeah, I mean that's literally like the story yeah. of uh, Nosferatu. They were doing that before yeah. there were even other Dracula it's, movies. It's insane to think though that they've never like rebooted this. Well. Yeah. You know, especially after something like Jurassic Park hit. Yeah, I think that, I mean, really the closest thing, and and this could just be, uh, maybe there's just something obvious that I'm not thinking of, but like the, you get the Gilman in Monster Squad. But even I don't there, know if any other, well, even in Monster Squad, he's underutilized. Yeah. He's very different too. Yeah. Like he doesn't look, he's, he's a lot more, uh, sinister looking yeah well and and again like i think that part of that and part of why maybe they couldn't use him as much and i don't think that they ever refer to him by a name i think that some of that had to do with universal copyright laws like i I think that that's some of the stuff that's getting in the way of being able to have more creature that might have been part of why it didn't take off is because you know think about when it came out it came out uh, in 53 is that right i think it came out in 53 uh, the fifth, 54, 54 is when the first one came out. And so, you know, like it, it was great, great enough that, uh, for them to make sequels. But then the sequels come out in, you know, like the fifties and maybe pushing 60. I forget when creature walks among us uh, came out, but around that time, you're getting a lot more of like the atomic age sort of sci-fi story. So you're getting a lot more of the, uh, the red scare and the, uh, you know, like giant creatures because of nuclear stuff. And so you're getting a different kind of sci-fi monster. 
And with all of those other things happening, I could very easily see how the creature just wouldn't seem as impressive to the audience at that time where you have, oh, here's one gill man that can very easily just be shot or, you know, taken down with Rotenol. All right. So we can just, we, we can roofie the creature and defeat him. Cool. Mm-hmm. But then you have, you know, like the uh, attack of the black scorpions where it's giant 800 feet scorpions all crawling out of the desert fueled by atomic rage. Like I could see why at the time it wouldn't stand up as quite as impressive. I disagree with that, but I, I think that some of those things probably hurt at the time why it didn't catch on. And then years later, I think that it was probably, you know, universal just saying, nope, creatures ours can't use them. I don't know. Some some other yeah, film it, historian out there who's listening to this, tell us whether or not we are right. Yeah, I mean, it does look like they were they were trying to do a remake with like Gary Ross and and Breck Eisner at one point was going to direct it. The guy who directed wow. uh, the Crazies remake. Um, and then it looks here like they were going to do one as part of the Dark Universe, but I don't think they. I think it was like it wasn't a focus. Like I don't mm-hmm. think they had a. Uh, Looks like they had a script, but I don't see anywhere where they had like anybody cast in the movie or anything like that. Never really got above water, as it were. Exactly. Yeah. It it, uh, it never never surfaced. <laughs> um, yeah, that is very interesting, though. I also feel like <clears throat> there's something about the creature that feels very distinctly American compared to the rest of the Universal monsters. Like the other, like I think it's part of that gothic aesthetic there's a distinctly like european flavor to all those films because most of them are actually legitimately like in europe right (laughs) um featuring uh non-american actors uh but there's something about this film in particular i guess maybe it's just because it's uh you know about a bunch of arrogant scientists like intruding on other people's territory (laughs) and trying to stake claim at something that doesn't actually belong to them uh you know some imperialism (laughs) or colonialism (laughs) there not that that's unique to america but um uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just something, and I guess par- partially it's like you said, because the aesthetic is so far removed from those other films and, yeah. and it has the kind of feel of those, almost like a classic adventure serial, um, which yeah. to me just kind of feels like a distinctly American thing. Yeah, it, it, sure. it's so, and again, because it is such a simple story and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I think that that's part of what gives it its charm is it is a very simple, clean story of we discovered this thing. We are scientists. We want to understand more about it. So let's go. Let's try to find it. We're stuck. And so now we're just here dealing with it. Man against nature. You know, it's... I I go back and forth a little bit when I think about the movie. I, I adore the movie. I love it. I never want to sound like I am talking down about the movie because I adore everything about it. Uh, one of the things about the movie that I love and one of the movie things about the movie that I think makes it not seem quite as grand is it is essentially a single location movie. Like there's a little bit at the beginning with the campsite. There's a little bit at the beginning with, um, you know, bringing the scientists in, but the majority of the movie is five people on a boat mm-hmm. and, and, and so you don't, goon. Yeah, five people on a goat and uh, on a goat and a lagoon. Five people on a boat. <laughs> I wish they were on a goat. Five people on a boat in a lagoon. And you, you get some underwater shots. You get that one really great cave scene. But the vast majority of it, it's just 
them on a boat. So you don't have these grand set pieces. You don't have Dracula's castle. You don't have all of Frankenstein's equipment. You don't have, um, you know, the invisible man going about town, dealing with all these people, knocking over baby carriages and old men. Like you don't get the same kind of set pieces. And with as grand as some of these other universal monster movies got, I can understand why creature feels lesser. I don't, again, it's I don't think grounded. it is. It doesn't have the kind of overt stylizations of those other films. It doesn't right. have that kind of like, uh, 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 what's the word? Not impressionism. Uh, Jesus Christ. What, what helped me out here? <laughs> I don't know. It, German expressionism. Yes. Yeah. The expressionistic kind of like, uh, feel to it. It is very grounded. It is, I I don't actually know what's great about it too is like all the one of the things I love about all those old monster movies is like you can see the sets like I love yeah. the sets I love the matte paintings and all that kind of stuff this movie it's kind of hard to tell there's a lot of on location shooting but even when they are on a set like it's kind of hard to tell um, the and, and also you get all those underwater shots which are definitely not on, which I, I think largely are not on a set no it seems like the only set shots are, to me are the overly obvious ones like the lack like of cave yeah cave. yeah well, i do think even, the lagoon was something that was built even on, the scene like when you see the boat out on the lagoon itself i think that's a set but that's a hell of a set even the scenes where they're on the boat and the background is like clearly just you know like a, a pre-filmed background it doesn't look bad like it looks better no. than stuff that was shot five years ago two years ago a month ago like and and maybe it's just because all of it is a little grainy, anyways. So it's easier to uh, to hide some of those uh, hide some of those mistakes. But I mean, even watching it on my, on my big ass four K TV, it still looks really really good to the point where I buy it. Like at no point yeah. do I think well, they're obviously on a set. It's it's a gorgeous movie, and Jack Arnold is a very uh, skilled technical filmmaker. Like he was uh, he was the um, like he was the kind of filmmaker who was like really focused in on those special effects. Like he did, uh, was was before this he did the Incredible Shrinking Man, right? At one point, like he sure, he was really not? into like the kind of special effects pictures. Um, so so yeah, it's like it's very clear that he put a lot of effort into that to making sure that it was all pretty seamless. Yeah. Well, and there's also you know, like you said, it's very grounded. There's also not that many special effects. Like so much of this movie is just a dude in a rubber suit and then acting there, there's not like in bride of Frankenstein. You don't have the little homunculi. You don't have like invisible man, uh, having to, to, to blur out the person so that you can make it look like they're invisible. It's just, they're interacting with the environment and they're interacting with a dude in a suit. And, and it, it just makes it feel so, so real and so good and so grounded. And Dan, you already mentioned, uh, the creature, designed by Millicent Patrick and ah mm-hmm. oh god I, I want to focus on that at least a little bit and talk about just how fucking beautiful this design is like mm-hmm. it it is I, I think that you said this entirely believable <laughs> like yes yeah. this is what the go man would look like yeah it's not just an incredibly cool design it's it's in, it's entirely functional yeah like of course this is what he would look like <laughs> you know he he has the webbed fingers he has i mean I, it's to accommodate and that's the thing it's stuff that would accommodate the actors as well because i mean it has like flippers because the feet are huge on the creature <laughs> right but as well as the webbed hands because we have to remember that when this was being filmed there's no tank in that suit 
that dude is holding his breath for like five minutes at a time to film these scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in this one, in this one anyway. Yeah. You can, you can um, very clearly see it in revenge of the creature. Uh, I, I hate that they adjusted the design a little bit in revenge of the creature. Yeah. You can see bubbles coming out of the top of his head. And it's yeah. just like, come on, people who designed this, at least run that tube under the gills. Like, you could have yeah. made it look so much better. Anywho, um, but yeah, yeah, the 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 design is not because I mean, you could any artist that's you know does stuff like this can draw an incredibly cool creature design, right? But to make it functional and appropriate, you know. She could have easily gone over the top with this design and yeah. some of the other, you know, like we talked about Monster Squad where that that design is a little more like almost piranha looking. He's a little scarier. Yeah, he's got a much bigger um, underbite. But we, yeah, you know, this one, it's like he's freaky looking, but you don't automatically fear him. Right. Which is, I think is it's important to, you know, to get the point of the character across that he's not just horrific. Yeah, he's. He's prehistoric looking almost. Well, yeah, like he's he is stuck in time, you know, in, in that evolutionary uh, process of just he got stuck somewhere. And, mm. you know, with with years and years and years of watching uh, face off on the sci fi channel, you know, the um, um, uh, special yep. effects. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The like prosthetics makeup, makeup people. Yeah. Yeah. Makeup. Uh yeah, the, the like makeup the competition show, but with makeup. Right. So with the years of watching that. <laughs> One of the things that keeps coming up, uh, there there will be like some great creature designs, and some of the judges will ask like, "What's its functionality? Like this looks great, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. does not look like it fits the world that you're saying that it comes from." And that's one of the things that I love so much about the creature design by Millicent Patrick is, like, it, it looks very human. It clearly looks like just a dude in a suit. But it's those little touches, how like the face uh, kind of has, you know, like al- almost like a frog style to where like you can kind of see maybe where a nose is starting to uh, to develop, but there's not mm-hmm. a nose. And it has, again, like just that very like round sloping face. The the back has that little tiny bit of a fin, but it also gives it a little bit more of an arch, which, you know, look at most mm-hmm. fish and they've got like that big arch on their back, but it doesn't look overdone. Everything about this creature design feels right and you know we'd be on that too i i think like they also like put all this care in detail like they actually had like little bladders in the side to make the gills like flap on the side of his neck Mm -hmm. and even like so it's i think it's ben chapman is the actor who's in the suit when it's on land yeah and the way that he performs like i I think the performance lends so much to the like verisimilitude Mm -hmm. of it because like he opens his mouth like a fish. Yeah. And he does this thing where like, from the documentary that's on the Blu-ray disc, which I highly recommend, it's great, but like, he said that he was directed to glide on the land, so he put like 10 pound weights in the bottoms of it, like under his feet, so that way his feet kind of drag to make him a little bit more like lumbering because he's, you know, he's not used to just like walking around on land. That's not where he's most comfortable. Right. Um, and, and talking about where he's the most comfortable, you know, Rico Browning is the actor who plays the creature Gilman underwater. And, yeah. um, and, and I met him a few years ago and like I, awesome. I was in awe the entire time and he was such a nice dude. And, you know, like I, I at one point I even asked him, would he get back in the suit? And it's like. Well, yeah, if they pay me, sure. <laughs> <Which> it, felt, <laughs> it felt like such a genuine response of like, 
yeah sure give me some money and why not but it also like he, he kind of had a little wink in his eye when he said that like god i miss doing that like he still was so happy to talk about it and yeah one of the well, greatest experiences of my life uh but anyways he he does such an amazing job under the water mm-hmm. that it doesn't look like a dude swimming it very much feels like a this creature is at one with the water and like yeah. he's the, the, move, the movement the specific movements yeah. of the arm in the feet while swimming exactly they, it doesn't look like a, a person just underwater trying to swim yeah right yeah yeah it's it, so it elegant feels and, like a gill man swimming and mm-hmm. being at one with his environment absolutely too there's so many like amazing little touches to those prefer like i think that's the most amazing thing about rico browning in this is because rico browning was not really like an actor is my understanding he was mm-hmm. like there whenever they're doing location scouting and, and jack arnold's just like hey you want to be in the suit and he's just like sure i guess so yeah mm-hmm. and but he at, he put so much like for you know like for lack of a better word humanity into that performance like whenever he's swimming under k and he's like reaching out to touch her like you see just like the hesitance in him those scenes like, are poetic those scenes are poetic they're with just, how those scenes are they're yep. a ballet it's just like a, a beautiful beautiful thing but yeah like you get the sense like you you can tell so much about this creature just through those little touches in the performance like you can tell that there's just a lot of thought and care put into every little detail even the way that he like you know the first time i watched this movie i remember thinking that the creature was he's obviously like attacking people because people are invading his environment yeah again it's a home invasion movie yeah, a hundred percent. But there was something the first time I didn't really catch on that I was just like, oh, he's just murdering people. But in this nope. one, like you get every single time he murders someone, it's almost always defensive. Yep. And even whenever the people go into the water and he attacks them, he like, well, he does it like gorilla style. He'll like attack and then he goes and he hides out in the in the reeds down there, like in the in the foliage or whatever under underwater. Like he's he is a scared creature and his most of the time he is just trying to hide from these people. Yeah. And even the times that he does get a bit more aggressive, it's later in the movie when they have uh, drugged him and when they have, you know, roofied all of the fish in the lagoon, which quick side note, um, I, I love, love this. I've always loved this. The scene where they put all of that rehypnol or rotenol or whatever the drug is called when, when they roofied the pond, rotenone. Man, they've changed it a few times. In it's a real, it's a real thing. I, I look this up. It's like a thing that they actually use to. <laughs> so, so when they fish. when they roofie the fish, um, and all the fish float <laughs> up to the water, and yes, that's what I'm going to keep saying because that's what they're doing. When they roofie the fish, and all the fish are floating up on the water, one of the guys, I think that it's the uh, the really douchey one that's like, "Oh, we're gonna you know capture him and kill him and take him back and put him in a pond, and I'm gonna make all this money from it." Oh, Mark. Sure. Uh, when he flicks his cigarette, and so you see the cigarette floating, and just oh all no, that's K these... that flicks the cigarette. What was it, K? Yeah. I thought yeah. okay, yeah. okay. So when K flicks the cigarette, uh, but you you have that scene transition into all of those floating fish, and it's just like, mm-hmm. come on, that there was no way that that was not an intentional environmental message of this one small thing is indicative of people going over and you know fucking over this ecosystem and killing mm-hmm. all of these animals and and maybe it wasn't intentional maybe it was just you know a cool dissolve but you're never going to convince me that it wasn't because this entire movie is 
this creature has existed for how many decades or centuries or eons? You know, even if Gilman himself or herself, we don't actually know if it's Gilman or Gilwoman, um, other than just the fact they call him Gilman. But we, we have no idea how old this creature actually is. We don't know if this is thousands and thousands of years old that is just maintained. They, or, they say that he's he's devoted, like they they trace the fossil stuff from the Devonian. But we don't know if this specific creature age. has been living in the Black Lagoon since sure. the Devonian age, or if there has been like a family of, of Gilman, Gilmen and Gilwomen that have been living and surviving in the Amazon rainforest because, you know, the, the water there is fucking scary. I've, <laughs> I've, well, I've watched I some of those fishing like, shows with the 800 feet, uh, 800 pound fish. The, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I kind of have this headcanon where it's like the movie begins with them finding the fossilized claw. <clears throat> and then the uh, the dude initially, like, he just breaks that claw off, which I'm like, man, this is a terrible archaeologist. <laughs> so trying to take it all out, he just breaks the arm off. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but, like, in my mind, it almost seems like the the Gilman did have a, a companion of sort at some at some point, and that is the fossilized creature that the doctor in the beginning uh, finds, and, um, and and you just get the sense that he's been very lonely, and that's probably part of the reason why he, you know, takes to K so well because he is just looking for companionship. Yeah. He's just oh, been in this I, the only one of his kind left at this point. I absolutely share that headcanon. Like I, I a thousand percent think that the fossil that they found at the beginning was his companion, was his lover, yeah. was his mate. Mm. And, you know, he was sad and lonely and that was her eternal resting place. And some scientist done fucked it up. And so like now he's just and he sees a damn grave fucking white people. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so he's just angry about it because he hadn't been attacking the village. Like the movie doesn't start with, oh, no, this is a dangerous place that we can't go because here's all of these attacks. It's just, nope. We're on an archaeological expedition. It's only when they get to the Black Lagoon that it's like, uh, you know, this is this is a haunted place. It's like, all right, well then, just stay out of the lagoon. Like, it, it's fine. Quit being a dick and quit invading everything. <laughs> but like, I absolutely think that that's what's going on because the creature, like you said, only attacks in self defense, or when he is just fed up with it. Like after yeah. he has been roofed, he does eventually. After he's been uh, shot at after all yeah. of this stuff. When he's finally like, "All right, fine, fuck y'all. If you won't leave me alone, you know it's it's like again." In he literally life. sets a trap for them and then <laughs> it immediately attacks. Like well, he's, he's a very intelligent creature. It it is <laughs> like a home invasion movie where the the person is just surviving and running away and trying to escape and then you hit that uh <laughs> sort of that third that third act piece of like all right they're no longer running now they're going to be the ones attacking yeah this and is the so, moment where kevin is like all right i'm setting traps for these fucking exactly. wet bandits exactly <laughs> so, <laughs> they're literally wet bandits in this movie well, <laughs> except the creature is the wet bandit but but yeah so like <clears throat> i I've always loved the creature and I do not feel like he is a monster. I feel like he is an animal that people yeah. are shitty to. And if you watch the sequels, it makes it even more heartbreaking. Mm. Well, and to get back to the headcanon thing, what is it that causes him to fall for Kay? It's seeing swimming. her swimming. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she swims. She just seems so at home in the water. Like I love it whenever she's swimming and she like goes under and she starts doing those like backflips. 
And she does it like, like it, again, it feels very much like a ballet. She's like got one leg kind of pulled up and the other one out. And it looks like she's just like, like it's very angelic almost. Yeah. And it has this, so this lovely music that's playing in the background. It's really, <clears throat> it's so beautiful. I'm glad that you brought us back to that because there are two things that I want to talk about with, uh, with that scene specifically. The first one and, and I'll, I'll mention both of these and then the two of you can take them in whichever direction you want. So the first thing that I want to mention is just how fucking horny that scene is like <laughs> that. The, the scene of her swimming and the creature swimming underneath her is one of the most beautiful sexless sex scenes ever. Like it is. Yeah. It is so every time that I watch it, feels it like it's, a mating ritual. Almost. Yeah, it is beautiful. And every time I watch it, it only gets more and more beautiful. The second thing, I don't know how much y'all were paying attention to the music aside from the da 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 thing that's going on. Um, <laughs> but when Kay, uh, Julie Adams is swimming underwater or on top of the water, but when, when it's the swimming scene, it the music almost trans. Well, the music does transition into something that's a lot more, like you said, angelic, a lot more soft, a lot more lilting. The yeah, underwater it scenes. That way and then it- well, the, the underwater scenes feel like a silent movie because no one's talking underwater. And so yeah. it feels like a completely different style of movie during the underwater scenes. And also something that I noticed this time that, oh man, again, every time I watch this, I, I just love it more and more when she is swimming and it has that very beautiful, soft, lilting music. And then the creature stops, starts popping up. It mm-hmm. does not have a hard, uh, a hard break into his theme it starts blending the two together. So you start having that very soft music with a little bit more of like the, like it starts bridging some of it in, in a way that feels so natural and so beautiful. And it's giving you so much of that story through underwater dance and through music. So, which interesting because it wasn't one single composer for this film. It was, yeah, there were three composers. (laughs) Well, they did a great job bringing all that yeah, together. The, the soft part you're talking about, that was Henry Mancini who did yeah. that. What? Yeah, that was Henry Mancini, uncredited. That's unsurprising. Yeah. yeah. Like each different like major, like you've got the soft tones, you've got like the harsher. Every single, like well, there are three distinct different sounds in this film. Each one was done by a different composer that they then you know, blended together. Yeah, it's like a composite score, which is really, I, I don't know if it's unusual for the time or not, but it feels like it was, it seems very unusual to have three. I mean, it would people. definitely be unusual now. Yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But, um, it's, it is very interesting. I can't remember. I know Henry Mancini does the kind of more like melodic, beautiful yeah. lullaby kind of score. I can't remember the other two. I think maybe Herman Stein does the more like horror. Yeah. The the dun 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 or whatever. The, Nathan, the, I remember the, the, the creature theme. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. There was one time I don't remember why we did this, but do you remember in an older episode we would do the sting, but we did it wrong. Yes, I think that was my because we were going dun. <laughs> I don't know why we did that. That was probably my fault because I was it, stupid. It and got I the same effect across. Uh, it was actually well, so as really 
Well, it's it's when we were talking about uh, it was either before or after it screamed uh, screened at the Chattanooga Film Festival. Oh yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. years ago when they did it on their big 10K screen uh, out in the park near a river, and it was beautiful and amazing. And yeah, that uh, that was the same year that we got to talk to uh, Mallory O'Mara who had just uh, published her book, Lady from the Black Lagoon, about Millicent mm-hmm. Patrick. So, yeah. Which is a phenomenal book, and I encourage anyone listening to this to read it because I adore it. Seriously. It's so great. I got I got my signed copy of it staring at me right here. I completely forgot that I watched that. I, I, we didn't watch the whole movie. We missed, we missed a little bit of it. So I've right. seen this movie like two and a half times. <laughs> that was yeah, so we, much fun to watch out in, that, in the park like that. It was really really wonderful yeah and we were frantically running back and forth between all right we need to see this movie and then this and then this and we got to creature and we just sat down and it was like oh this is nice can we just like (laughs) stay here it's a nice Uh, cool night yeah so so yeah um horny gill man and beautiful music (sighs) yeah yeah i like and like i said before i think that i what I think is so beautiful about it is it it's kind of creepy because it is, you know, pretty one-sided. Um, but I do think that like, there's a sensitivity to the way that the, that it's portrayed and the way that the creature, you know, it doesn't feel like he is stalking her necessarily. He's right. just kind of sitting there watching her and then yeah, he's fascinated by her. Yeah. yeah there, there, he's fascinated by her and you can, t- you can see, you know, like he is falling in love with her to a certain but, extent. I mean, and he starts like mirroring her movements. And, and again, whenever he approaches her, it's not like, Oh, this is a prize. I'm going to take you. Like he is afraid to get near her. Yeah. Like he's, well, so I mean, hesitant. He, he should be fucking impressed by her because she's an actual female character in these movies <laughs> that has sure. her own sense of agency. She's yep. not just there to be rescued or to be the icon. She's, you know, she's part of this team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's not just like and the secretary. Like she's fully admit to that. You know, it's, yeah, she this, she has an important part of the, amongst this group. Then she's there for a reason, not just because you know she's David's girlfriend or whatever. It's just he's important. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that uh, that I love and is also a little odd because there is an actual like, yes, she is a real character who is doing things and she has more, you know, gender autonomy back in the 50s than some female characters today. Like, I think that her character is a very strong character. There's also a whole lot of that 50s machismo, like still ever present in, in the movie. Like there's still a whole lot of the, oh, you can't go do that because you're a woman. And oh, don't go do that. It's going to yeah. be too dangerous for mm-hmm. you. But I That's love the fact. True. Well, but I love the fact that she's even when she's just like, all right, fine. There's always that knowing just like dumbass. Fine. Whatever. You, you jump in there. <laughs> fine. have fun like there's never like the oh poor pitiful me and so even though there is some of that machismo i don't feel like it takes away her agency i feel like it just highlights some of these dudes are dicks it's a bunch of male scientists who are swinging their dicks at one another to show who's the more important part amongst them and she's Mm. just like I'm going to go for a swim while you all get in the tape measure. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, God. I do love that there's a scene of uh, of two shirtless dudes in short shorts fighting each other in a confined space, though. That's a, <laughs> that's a great... Yeah. 
Well, and and that theme, I don't, I don't want to uh, spend too much time talking about the sequels because I'll save that for when we actually do cover the sequels. But that's something that continues on in both of the sequels. Like uh, in Revenge of the Creature, there's another strong female scientist. Uh, in Creature Walks Among Us, it takes it a very interesting route where the female character isn't quite as strong, but she's in like an abusive ma- uh, marriage, like a straight up, like the guy is like, do not ever embarrass me. Do not ever leave me. And like at one point basically threatens murder because he's not getting enough love and attention. Oh, it, yeah. So even though the female character isn't quite as strong, it, it's put in the context of she was a child bride. God, but okay. We, we cannot go down this road. But, yeah. In uh, creature walks among us, she talks about how when she was married 10 years ago at 17, it's like, Oh, Oh my. And so it is, it is a fascinating thing that at some point we need to talk about. Uh, I, yes. it's, it's a thing about the fifties. That's pretty interesting where, because so many of these uh, kind of like atomic age sci-fi movies are about scientists. They're kind of like accidentally progressive where it's like, Oh, we got to have a woman in here. <laughs> Uh, but how are we going to fit the woman in here? I don't know. I guess we'll make her a scientist too, just like these dudes. They'll still treat her like, you know, she's the damsel in distress. But like, you know, she's at least a, a scientist, which, you know, I, I think that in a lot of cases it's like, well, you know, well, <laughs> we look back on it. It's like, yeah, we'll take it where we could get it. Where, you know, at least these women are treated as if they are smart. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, but, but I do, also, I think that, sorry, go ahead. You know, you go ahead. Okay. So uh, I, I mentioned this a little bit at the top, but it's contextually relevant now. Richard Denning's character, uh, Dr. Mark Williams, he is the one who is more of the, I just want to capture the creature and take it back, right? Like, he's Yeah, he's like the big out. game hunter. He's the real like swing and dig. Yeah. So, so I, I, love, I love the fact that this movie, even with such a small cast, it still has that one guy who's even more of the, the humans are the monsters of the movie because very early on he's walking around with that giant spear gun and uh, you know, they, they talk about it a little bit, but then uh, then he's asked, where are you going to shoot that spear gun? And he chuckles and goes, make any difference. And then just shoots it into the post of the boat. Yeah. And like, that is he such... shoots a phallic object into another phallic object. Yeah. It is such a, <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is such a look at my dick kind of moment <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and again, like, it's it's simple and it's subtle and well and even, even david kind of calls it. him out later yeah he says his ambition he, is showing well that but he also like when he shoots the creature the first time he's like why did you why did you do that he wasn't attacking us yeah like <clears> we, we, we you know we're not here to conquer or whatever like we're here as research, I do like that David is like he is portrayed with a bit more sensitivity than a lot mm. of the kind of like. Mm. I, I mean, again, compared to other films of the era, like he mm. is, like he is someone who you can actually see that he feels the weight of the casualties that are are happening. Like you know, at a certain point after they capture the creature and he kills chico or whatever and then escapes again david's like fuck this let's get out of here and we'll come back with another expedition later like but, we but that's can't the thing we'll come in the name back. of this research like that's, that's true yeah that's I mean, the that's thing about him he is a little bit more sympathetic but why i side more and more with the monster yeah. every single time is people are dying let's come back when we have more manpower 
Rather yeah, I mean, none of them are without fault. Even K, yeah, is is complicit in this to a certain extent. But um, but yeah, I, I do think that like there is a little bit more vulnerability to his character, which marginally, it, uh, marginally, yeah. Marginally. But I also think that that's just a great way to kind of up the up the tension between the members of the crew and give him and Mark a reason to kind of butt heads over everything and give him a reason to fight. Sure. Also just cause you know, so, so I was thinking about something as we were talking about this movie and side note, one of the reasons that I love podcasting with y'all is it is rare that I go into an episode where I don't leave with a deeper appreciation. <laughs> I love podcasting with y'all. So one of the Aww. things that I was thinking about when, um, <laughs> when we were talking about this, what do you think about my new headcanon that the creature was trying to save K from these just <laughs> dick waving uh, home assaulting dudes? Because I mean, like for real, all that he sees of of these dudes is they're coming into my swamp, they're roofing my fish. They're shooting spear guns at my side, and here is this poor swimming creature that is, she must be being held captive by them. I know, I'll rescue her, because that is now what I think. I think that uh, Gilman was actually trying to rescue Kay from, um, from, from, yeah, from a so like Gilman's a, a feminist. Contest. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he's a feminist, though, maybe he would he would he'd try to help her rescue herself. Sure. Right. He's I I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's 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 like a fuck these men. He's like hashtag all men. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that is my new headcanon. Uh, Gilman was trying to rescue her from them. He, he was going about it the wrong way, but. I mean, it does kind of beg the question, like, I I wonder what happened to his original companion. She got trapped in the the cliff and had her arm broken off by some dude like, hey, this is cool. Well, I guess that's a good point. I mean, I'm just wondering if he had ever had other run ins with like with humans before. And I don't know. I, mean, I was just trying to think if, like, maybe he the maybe. reason he lost his companion was because of other people hurting her. But this would have been like probably Stone Age people or something. But at this point, he did very clearly have a sex grotto. Because I mean, <laughs> like, where he takes other other gill creatures to <laughs> like he does put, like a fucking jacuzzi in there. By you, the way, you know that there is. There. Well, you know that there's a mirror on the roof of that cave. <laughs> Uh, he just looks at his own reflection in the, <laughs> in the water that's in there. Oh, no, oh, a, little, uh, a little heart-shaped uh, pond in there. Oh God, I I, I love. If, yeah, if you get a bird's eye view of that of that little uh, hot spring he emerges out of, it's in the shape of a heart. Whenever he like <laughs> attacks David and breaks the spear gun. <laughs> yes, I just I just love so much that he literally has like a hot tub in yeah. his little man cave. Yeah, of course he does. Man cave. It's so great. It also just looks great. I love it whenever they go to that cave the second time and it's just like filled with dry ice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. If only he just, he probably has like a, a little stereo built into the cave wall where he plays some like, plays some tunes whenever he has uh, company over. <clears throat> I, think, I feel like you would have like nice, like a tr- nice tribal beat thing going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, some of those smooth bongos to really get the mood going. 
He just he kind of like does some beat poetry. He kind of plays him in the in the corner and does that when the lights are low. He's just uh, like seducing all the all the fish in the sea, all the fish in the lagoon. Oh <laughs> uh, man. I love except, the man! Except he He's keeps fucking up and guy. keeps calling her his gill rather than his girl. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the creature is probably like pansexual. He'll just he'll he'll you know he'll. He'll charm it like male, female. Well, like, yeah, I was gonna say like a lot of marine whatever. creatures. He can probably you know change at will. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe I mean, he's like the we we don't like, see genitalia. The, the only way that we know about uh, Gilman's genitalia is because of Shape of Water, where she explains that he has a little cloaca that opens up. <laughs> God, I love the the visual that she does, where she like unfolds her hands and has the little. Little finger sticking out. <laughs> oh man, this is so so great. I love that this is what we're focusing on so much. Just like thinking about the Gilman's sex life. I mean, that's a he's, pretty like heavy chunk of what guy. the movie is. Like he's he's uh he's got a you know he's got to have an outlet of some kind. Oh, oh, he's got his outlet. <laughs> oh man. This is such a good movie, guys. So this is this is clearly what Quint, what oh, not, fuck, uh, Guillermo del Toro yes. spent a lot of a lot of time thinking about as a child. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Look, the the pitch for uh, Shape of Water is: what if the last fifteen minutes that we've been talking, but classy? Yeah, throw in a musical number, a mute lady, you know, some. <clears throat> Yeah, and give make the Gilman kind of light up like he's a disco ball. Yeah, and Richard Jenkins, <laughs> and Richard, Richard Jenkins, Jenkins. <laughs> always, yeah, always that makes it, that just yeah that makes it classic. <laughs> the best oh. part of Trapped in Paradise. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Okay. Yes, that's that's true. I mean, it, it's true, Nathan. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> you admit it you love that movie <clears throat> dan what are some more of the things that you want to make sure that we talk about because again i am fully aware of how rambling i am with just my sheer love of this movie well um i mean we've, we've touched on it in brief but i i especially for a film that feels so female forward in many aspects the fact that like Millicent Patrick did not get credit for what she did for the longest time for this, yep, uh, because that was Bud just, Westmore was yeah, because that was just the way the holiday the ho- you know the Hollywood system was. It's like you know, um, I can't remember who was like actual given the creature design. I think you might have mentioned his name there, Eric. But it's yeah, Bud Westmore is the one who gets credit for the yeah. Design. And is he the, is yeah. he the one that just made the creature? Like took her design and then like you know put it in. He's the not even 3D? like the sculptor. The sculptor was somebody else. He's just yeah. like, so, so the Westmores were just kind of like the. It's like saying it's a Stan Winston creation, knowing that like one of the hundreds of people understand Winston that work for Stan Winston probably did it. Now. Right. I think the Westmores were like a family of like makeup artists or whatever. Yeah. So they just kind of like. I mean, they, the, they still he are. Like, he was kind of like the director of the art. De- he's like the yeah. art department director or whatever. It's like how James Patterson writes all his books. <laughs> <laughs> he writes yeah. the first word and the last word and then hands it off yeah. to a ghostwriter. 
Absolutely, yeah. But Bud Westmore's just like, oh yeah, it's a good good drawing, Millicent. Thumbs up, you got it. But I think what yep. was interesting about it was at the time, like Millicent Patrick, you know, there are all these like great stills of her with the where she had kind of drawn the the creature, and she's just like this gorgeous woman who like always mm. got dressed up for work every day, and um, they had like put her on tour whenever this movie mm-hmm. was coming out. She was like going on to talk shows and stuff to talk about the creature and you know the 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 kind of like legend is that at that point Bud Westmore got really upset that she was going around and taking all the credit. Um, but they wanted to use her to kind of like sell the film because she was this beautiful woman and you know she's obviously like great to talk to and very photogenic and all this stuff. And uh and then he got mad and started pulling her off of the off of the publicity circuit and trying to insert himself in there more and take all the credit for her and you know just mm push all of her contributions to the side. And, and of course, this is also during a time where like, you know, credits on movie, like Rico Browning doesn't get a credit in this. Ben Chapman doesn't get a credit. And, and Rico Browning, when I read, he really fought for a credit in the sequels and still never got one. I think they gave him like a cameo as a scientist instead. Yeah, he was. He was, yeah, he was a bit player. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, that's just the way, the, you know, they would give you the main cast and, you know, a few key people, director, producer, Makeup, special effect, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that was yeah. it. You just get them right there at the yeah, very beginning in the end. Yeah, Julie Adams talks about that a little bit in one of the documentaries where it's like she was, you know, she was a studio actress. They didn't yeah. get to choose their roles. It yeah, was, right. nope, this is what you're doing. And she was one of the few that actually, you know, kind of relished doing this because it, it gave her a good part. Yeah. And this is during a time where it's like, you know, people. Actors really didn't want to be in these B picture sci fi. You know, mm-hmm. this is uh, for in a lot of cases, they kind of thought this is beneath them. This is, you know, yeah. this is just the direct that we feed to the masses to make money to act, make real pictures, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that's so frustrating, um, you know, about like Rico Browning not getting credit, when I think of the creature, when I think of Gilman, I don't think of him above the water. Like I mm. always think of the underwater scenes yeah. mm. a little bit. I think of above water, but like maybe, maybe I didn't notice it before, but especially once I knew that it was two different actors to me, it is clear that, that the underwater one, let me rephrase that. Once I knew that there were two different actors when it's on land, it doesn't feel as menacing. Gilman feels shorter somehow almost like it, it, it would be when he's on land yeah when he's on land somehow he well, doesn't feel he's like much taller when he's on land well <laughs> he doesn't feel like it maybe it's because i, I don't know well, you don't get a lot of full body shots when he's on land really it's yeah, honestly it was, like feet shots he, or he feels longer in the water because he's all he's always stretched yeah, out that's right a good point. yeah but like it, it just feels different somehow but yeah like when i think of the creature I think of underwater, and so it just sucks that so many people that were involved with this movie did not get the full credit until you know decades later. And you know, yeah. some people even now are probably still arguing about you know who should actually receive uh, what credit and whether or not uh, you know people really did as much as they said they did. And and it's just such bullshit. Uh, and mm. in a way, feel, there's literally no credit at all for the Gill Man in the movie. God, it's so so bizarre. It's not like you know with. Karloff as Frankenstein, where it's clearly a guy in makeup. It's like, no, this is just a suit. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, we don't have to give. They never show their face on screen. So, 
You don't have to give credit to a suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, what? No, there's not a person. This is a real go man. As, as terrible <laughs> yeah. as it is, in a way, I feel like it almost fits with the movie. Of I'm here, pretty sure too that like I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I like where you're going with that. But I'm pretty sure too that Rico and and Ben Chapman like were literally also like wearing the suit out on like the fucking red carpet and stuff whenever they're like doing publicity for the movie. They're just like hanging out outside the theater trying yeah. to sell the movie wearing the suit outside of the movie. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it's they they really should have received more credit. And that's one of the things that I do love about some of the older movies that listed so many of the people involved before it even got to the movie. Where it's just like, oh yeah, no, there were already a lot of people involved in making this. But but yeah, in a weird way, it almost feels uh, maybe not appropriate because I don't want to make it ever sound like it's a good thing, but it feels it is an interesting correlation that creature from the black lagoon has hey here's a few white dudes coming in and saying like oh it's okay you might think that you live here go man but uh we want to study you instead so mm-hmm. quit fighting it let us just roof you and put you in chains and you're gonna like it trust us you're gonna dance monkey yeah just uh. <laughs> swim dance for us sea monkey uh and and so it, it feels very interesting that the, the, some of the themes and the tone of the film are also what happens in real life to the people who are making it. It's like, oh, Millicent, you spent all of this time designing one of the most iconic creatures ever. I mean, look at most modern creatures. There's still going to be some element of that that I think ties back to some inspiration from creature. There just there wasn't much like it before then in... I don't think there's been as much that has topped it since then. It is still absolutely iconic. It, it is. I, I just adore it so much. And it's like, all right, we know how much work you put into it, but uh, we're going to take credit for it. Is that cool? No. Well, too bad because we're the ones in power. And mm-hmm. it just, in a way, it almost makes this movie even more heartbreaking. Yeah. <sighs> no. The real world I totally sucks agree. sometimes. So I want to talk a little bit about how I think uh, this movie is scary. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, it is a horror movie. I Well, I think you, when you compare this movie to uh, a lot of the other Universal Monster movies, I think a lot of them are creepy. I think this movie is actually like pretty scary. There's some kind of unsettling imagery. Like, like we said, when the creature first pops out and you see his face for the first time, that's really creepy. I think almost like... As annoying as the kind of musical sting can be, and from what they what they said in the doc, they play it like 130 times. I don't know if that was just like them throwing <laughs> something off the top of their head, but they play it so much. It's to, it's effective every time. Like there's something that's really unnerving about seeing like that cre- the creature's hand like coming through the porthole, reaching for the bandaged man, mm. and him, like trying to scream and can't because he's muffled. Like that's really scary shit and as someone who has like a very deep-seated fear of the ocean particularly like the deep parts of the ocean um i i find this movie like genuinely creepy yep. um i think that a lot of the underwater stuff whenever they're fighting and like like the scene whenever like the last kind of fight underwater with the creature and mark and david whenever they're like getting into the sand and um and there's just like all this debris kind of flying everywhere. Like the creature truly looks 
like a creature in that moment, like where you can't really see the full thing. You just see the spines and the the slickness of the like the sleekness of the body and stuff. There's something that just the thought of being grabbed by some kind of like eel-like, snake-like creature with all that stuff. It just really freaks me out. Well, and there's, there are a few of those scenes where it almost, uh, I I think that Rico took some inspiration from like, uh, like an alligator or a crocodile doing their barrel (laughs) roll where like he gets them and then just like spinning underwater Yeah, because like, you know, that'll disorient someone that is not used to being underwater. It'll make it easier for water to get in their lungs. Like that's a, that's a great tactic for an underwater creature to use when attacking a, something from yeah. above ground. And again, it makes it sense. So it's natural. really tense. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it freaks me out. And even like something uh, we've mentioned a couple times before, but like whenever he's like hesitantly reaching for Kay's leg, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, when he touches her and you get like the shot of her just kind of like reacting, like looking down at herself that like, I mean, imagine just being in the ocean and just feeling that claw mm-hmm. graze against your foot. Like, fuck that. Give me the <laughs> fuck out of this lagoon. Yep. The Amazon in general is like the scariest fucking place in the world to me. Just like all of the wild ass shit that's in there. Piranha and giant millipedes and uh, yeah, all the stuff that they talk about in the movie on the way in where they kind of like... <laughs> like try to hype you up to the dangers of the Amazon. Like that's just so freaky to me. Yep. Um, well, and one even, of the other, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, even like at the earlier part of the movie, when they're talking about the lungfish and they're showing it and <laughs> it's so funny, whatever he says something about how like they never, they never evolved beyond whatever they never evolved to breathe underwater. And they, they basically talk about it like it's stupid. And then it, runs into a wall as he's saying that. I can't remember what the line is, but it made me laugh when I was watching it because it literally shows it running into a wall. I mean, um, you know, it's whatever. just seeing that fish, like for it just I don't I don't like it. I don't like slimy, gross, <laughs> long looking fish. I don't I don't like the ocean. I'll swim in it. I just don't like the deep the thought of the deep. Man, sea. I don't mm-hmm. like that not even the deep sea. Like a shark can attack you in like three feet of water, so you could be standing in. I'm not really afraid water. of sharks. That I'm, I mean, I would be. I'm just wolf, saying, but like a shark can do that. A tiny little box jellyfish needs an inch of water, and and you'll be dead. So yeah, that, that freaks me. I don't like things that are slimy, and I don't like the weird kind of shit that you find in the, like the just like the absolute fucking Lovecraftian mon- monstrosities that we know exists deep down in the ocean that yep. freaks me the fuck out. And the creature is, you know, kind of one of these things. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, one of the things that I also think that I also think makes this movie so scary is we talked a little bit about this. I don't remember if it was last episode or when, um, but how, no, no, we were talking a little bit about it, um, about the invisible man. And I think it holds even more true with Gilman where, Gilman of all of the original universal monsters. This is the only one that I think could really happen without it being that far fetched. You know, the vampires being undead, whatever. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Reanimated corpses. Maybe science could get there to like do a little bit, but it's not going to be like Frankenstein's monster, you know, being a full human again reanimated mummy that's still alive after thousands of years like that's that's just not going to happen the science to turn a man invisible not likely 
you know, even though it's just a human, you're probably not going to be invisible without like, you know, some very specific technology that's shooting right. stuff around you. Kind of like what they do in the, the remake reboot thing. Yeah. So, really so, um, so like all of these other universal monster movies, they're not real and it's very easy to say, all right, well, that's just not real. You know, folklore is great. Fairy tales are a lot of fun. You know, I, I love having a part of that in culture, and I, I love when there's something that is, you know, like deep-seated into the, oh, no, you don't go into the woods at this time because, like, there's clearly going to be a werewolf or a chupacabra or, you know, the the Jersey Devil or whatever. I, I love some of that stuff. I think that it makes life so much more interesting and fascinating. But also, none of that's real. You know, like, it's none of that's real. A big ass fish that has like evolved some but not fully that is absolutely absolutely something that could really happen again i've yeah. watched the um oh i forget that that fishing show on the animal planet but it has that uh i, I think river, river monsters yeah vermont i i watched oh, yeah. a lot of river monsters that show will turn you into a believer of yep very the old man could be real well it's also why i love that this movie begins with Genesis one one where it's like oh dude <laughs> God, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth it literally starts with the Big Bang and the whole kind of thesis of the film I'm pulling the, I pulled it up now the the line that they say about the lungfish is look at the lungfish all the ways life tried to find its way out of the ocean this one failed and then it swims into a wall which is <laughs> so that's also like you think about the beginning the at the beginning of time or whatever the earth is just a ball of water. And yep. then land emerged, and then creatures, and like all creatures, in some way found its way out of the ocean through this, you know, evolutionary theory or whatever. And it's like, yeah, there's something that's really terrifying, and and like the a, a creature from the Black Lagoon seems like a thing that could actually kind of exist in some form or fashion, and probably ways far more horrifying than depicted in this film. Yeah. Oh, and let me tell you, that was the immediate next thing that I was going to go to with. I love the fact that this movie starts with uh, with the Bible and then immediately to science. So it's in the yeah. beginning. There was nothing. And then over thousands of years as the earth cooled. And so it's like, look, regardless of if you are a spiritual person or if you are a scientific person, here's your explanation as to how this thing could realistically exist. You're a spiritual person. Cool. Our first line of the movie is going to be the Bible. So if you're like man can't exist all right take it up with the bible then or if you're like the bible isn't real <laughs> i'm just gonna the man upstairs. <laughs> it, if you're just like the bible isn't real i'm only gonna trust science all right cool here's thousands and thousands of years of evolution where this could exist and i love that this movie is so grounded in reality with 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 again that starting point of it doesn't matter what your starting point is this is how it could realistically happen and i also love and something that starts straying a little bit especially once they get uh, into um, the creature walks among us but one of the things that i love about creature so much compared to other atomic age monster uh, movies even though i love those i love the fact that this is not like a fish that got nuked and turned into this monster i love that this is yeah. not an alien that crashed it's not really an atomic age monster movie right it is just here is a simple monster story about a thing that could really exist 
And because it's not tied to the, oh, well, this clearly is, you know, like uh, Attack of the Giant Leeches. That's an Atomic Age monster movie. And it's a very similar plot, very similar plot, like surprised that it didn't get sued with how similar it is. But, you know, it's atomic leeches that are giant leeches and eating people and maybe trying to mate with them. I don't remember. The movie's weird. (laughs) But, But Creature doesn't have that. It doesn't have the red scare. It doesn't have all of these other elements about it. It's not a gothic story. It is so firmly monsters exist and we're going to put you into some undiscovered country, not necessarily undiscovered country, but you know what I mean? Like this undiscovered part of this land that hasn't been, you know, sullied by people going in and, and just pillaging it with all of their research. And like, we, we know more about space than we do about the ocean. Another great line from the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. And another reason that the ocean just fucking terrifies me. We know more about space than we do about our own oceans. You seriously going to tell me that there's not the possibility that a Gilman exists. It's terrifying. And part of that's also just playing on my own personal fear of the ocean is terrifying, but but yeah. Yeah. And what's the, so I I was just looking this up too. the, the statistic according to the national geographic society is that more than 80% of the ocean has never been mapped, explored, or even seen by humans. 80 fucking percent of the ocean. And that that is James Cameron. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's 20% was explored by James. Be more realistic. 15% of that is James Cameron. Uh, okay, fine, 15. I'll, I'll t- James Cameron will take it. Well, well, just the fact, too, that we can't create things for us even to go down into the full depths of the ocean. Yeah. Like, we can build things that could send us to fucking Mars right now, but nothing that will withstand the pressure of going to, like, the bottom of the deepest trenches. Yeah. And be able to work. <laughs> That's frightening as fuck. That's truly... <laughs> I knowing that stuff is alive. You know stuff is alive down there. And you absolutely- like one of these giant, you know, a, a whale... Beat gets beach dead out in Japan, and there's these like sucker marks on it that are like eight feet, you know, in diameter. And you're just like, What did that? You know, you know the giant squids are down there. There are like all these, uh, on like websites and social media pages and stuff where they just post like all the random weird shit that people have caught like deep in the ocean, and they're just like these absolute fucking monstrosities. And because of like how much pressure there is, they're like just like fucking goop with eyeballs floating around inside it and just all this like it's it's truly in my mind like some of the most horrifying shit imaginable like mm. it's the kind of thing that I will never ever follow because it just it just I just want to melt and inside thinking about like <laughs> what kind of horrible things are down there it's it uh-huh. truly fucking mortifies me to think about um let alone to see any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and something else that um, something else that uh, that creature from the Black Lagoon does that I think lends itself to a little bit of the hey, this could really happen. <laughs> it starts with narration. There's no narration throughout the rest of the movie, but it starts with it. God, the, God begins the film. Yes, God begins the film. Narrating his book. Or 
what I'm thinking of, it has kind of that feel of like the the old, you know, like 1950s documentaries. And even though it trails off after that first scene and then we never get it again, it's very uh, Gremlins nature uh, in in that respect. Well, you get Gremlins. You get narration. At the you end get a little. Gremlins. I'm. You get most. You get bookends. Fine. <laughs> trying to just go with a little bit there, but anywho. Uh, so, so yeah, the fact that it starts with some of that narration and the movie doesn't need that, especially since you have some of the other conversation a little bit later on, uh, talking about the lungfish and all this other stuff, but because it does start with that narration and stating it just as fact, just like in the beginning, God created the world and then all of this other science shit happened. And then now we have this creature direct quote. <laughs> that is a direct quote from the movie. And the Bible. (laughs) 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 One translation of it. I I wish that Genesis was just, in the beginning, God created the world, and then science shit, and now people suck. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all you got. (laughs) But but yeah, that opening narration, in, in a weird way, almost gives it that documentary feel, and almost makes it feel a little bit more just like, hey, listen, viewer watching this movie, this is the way that it is. Trust me. I'm an old timey movie voice. I never lie. <laughs> yeah. Omniscient old timey movie voice. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <sighs> no, I agree. I completely mm. forgot it started off that way, but I think it's really brilliant. I think it works so well. Um, again, just to kind of root it in, in how like primordial this whole thing is. <laughs> Yep. Oh man. Uh, I I took this down in my notes. Uh, that swimming sequence that we were referencing earlier, three solid minutes. Yeah, I was. I I didn't remember. Like it almost feels like half the movie is underwater. There are a lot okay. more underwater. I'm talking scenes about than one specific scene. That yeah, one yeah. scene of Julia Adams swimming. The the one iconic scene that alone is three minutes, and this movie is only eighty minutes long. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's also very, very clearly the inspiration for the opening sequence of Jaws with the camera pointing up at her while she's swimming. Oh yeah, and and with her in silhouette, she they they point this out in the documentary, but it's also like they put her in that white bathing suit, and like whenever you look up at her, she almost looks like she could be naked because yeah. of her silhouette, and yeah. that kind of adds to like the sexual tension of the scene. But it also like I don't I don't feel like it is. It never feels leering. You know, like it doesn't feel like it's overtly sexualizing her in any way. No, it is. Um, it is a sexual scene and a very right, romantic yeah. scene. But yeah, it is not sexualizing her. It's sexualizing the tone of like you, right. you, you can feel the tension, almost like you know. A, it doesn't a, feel like it doesn't a, feel male gazy. It feels fingers. like a nature documentary, <laughs> right? Almost, you know, like. <laughs> It's, uh, it's Look really as the guild man slowly approaches the creature swimming at the top of the ocean. God. I would love to have like, uh, have you ever seen those uh, Snoop Dogg narrates uh, Planet Earth? Yeah. Oh my god! No, but that Snoop sounds Dogg amazing. Narrating. Have you not heard? Have you not seen this, Nathan? I, I've not. You have to watch this. It's it's absolutely amazing. It's like Snoop Dogg narrating Planet Earth while like there's one of like a mouse that's being attacked by a snake and it's running away. I think it's a mouse. It's just absolutely amazing, just the way that he reacts to all the situations. Oh my god, you have to you have to look this up later. I, I absolutely <laughs> so will. 
but yeah, uh, I, I do love all the underwater photography, and it's amazing whenever you look at the behind-the-scenes stuff because the camera that they had to use, not only were they shooting this stuff underwater, but they were shooting it in 3D. I was so, like, just camera, about to like, mention the 3D aspect. Yeah, it looks like they're they're holding like a fucking oven underwater <laughs> to film <laughs> these people. I don't have any idea how it works exactly. It doesn't even Magic. seem like the kind of thing where you could even compose a shot with this like i don't know if i had a viewfinder or not but eric let, let me explain it for you in the beginning god created 3d cameras <laughs> and then a bunch of science shit happened and uh-huh. now we have um avatar in 3d oh god i can't i'm so excited about the way of water i've been there, I miss 3D. There isn't a fucking creature like easter egg in this film that cameron has got us all down James Cameron should make a creature from the Black Lagoon movie. No. I, w- I would actually be excited about that. That would be amazing. Mm. Anything that he does that's based around the water, I am yeah, 100%. I am diving deep for that one. I'll go as deep as he wants me to go. Have, have you seen Piranha 2? Uh, no, but that's that's more like a... That's just kind of like that a... That was like his time. very first film. That was thrown his way. He at was just kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll take it. At one point, there is a flying piranha that flies down someone's throat. It's pretty great. That's actually pretty awesome. I I can't believe I haven't seen Piranha 2. I need to check that out. It's fine. You can skip it. (laughs) I'm sure it's probably not his best movie, but... (laughs) Yeah. So, Eric, Uh, have you ever seen it in 3D? Have you ever seen uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon? That's absolutely a bucket list item. I (sighs) I want to see this. I I was so upset because like, I have the movie on Blu-ray and it gives you the option to watch it in 2D or 3D. Yep. And I just kept looking at the 3D option just thinking, man, I don't have a 3D TV. My <laughs> dad has a 3D TV. I might like go bum it for a, for yeah. a day and yeah, check it do out. It. Do it. So you know how I've talked before about how I hate 3D that it's coming out at you for most of the time. <laughs> uh, th- there's the one exception of the hand at the very beginning reaching out. That part's pretty great. But for the most part, I like 3D that has depth to where it looks like you're looking into something happening because of how much stuff is happening underwater. It feels like you were underwater with them. It that stuff above underwater water stuff in 3D is my favorite. But, oh, man. Underwater. It is. It is beautiful. And oh, yeah, I think that just lends itself so well to, to 3D. Uh, it's again why I'm so excited about Avatar 2. My first 3D movie I ever saw was at the uh, IMAX in the, at the Chattanooga Aquarium. They have an IMAX screen and they have a, a documentary called Into the Deep. I think it's called Into the Deep, but it was it's about like being underwater. Also, probably part of the reason why the water scares me so much because sure. there's some freaky uh, sea creature shit in that. Yeah, I think I mentioned it during our uh, punch out, but uh, Revenge of the Creature was the very first 3D movie I ever saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You mentioned yeah, because you're still hunting down that uh, that old TV guide. Which, by the way, I attempted to. I, 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 put, I sent you guys a picture of it. I was at a place called the, the Big Chicken Barn. It's a giant antique hall here <laughs> in Maine. I looked through probably 300 different like random TV guides looking Damn. to see if they had one. I found the stand, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Stevie King's the stand TV guy, but yeah, I did not, they did not have one from Re- Revenge of the Creature because their early 80s stuff was very limited. Most of the stuff they had was in the 90s. But mm, it sucks. I, I saw a pile and I had to look through it. I spent like half an hour flipping through TV guides. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's a charmed life that you lead, Dan. Time. <laughs> I, I would absolutely do that. I went, to, 
I look through old TV guides. <laughs> I went antiquing uh, with my wife this weekend as well, and we didn't buy anything. But I just like going through an antique shop is just the most. It's the kind of thing that as a kid I probably would have thought it was the most boring thing in the world. But as an adult, I'm like, there is so much history and just yeah. You would history. you would love this place because it it's literally in an old chicken barn. That <laughs> it's two floors. I don't know, two hundred yards long or so at least. So it's loaded with stuff. And again, because it's an antique store in Maine, you're always going to find Stephen King related shit. Yeah. <laughs> so God, I want to go there. That sounds incredible. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, uh, I'm jealous. <laughs> also, I just, uh, while I'm thinking about it, I want to throw a quick shout out to, uh, the secret MVP of this movie, which is Lucas, the shipboat captain. Oh my God. He's yes. Um, I, one of my favorite things of this entire movie is whenever they're like before the creature starts attacking them and everything, whenever they're actually just kind of like, uh, digging out the fossil and all that before they go down to the lagoon, Lucas is just sitting there watching them the entire time. He's just kind of like sitting back, relaxed, just kind of like having a laugh at the fact that these guys are working their asses off. And the first time I was watching it this time, I was like, why is that guy just sitting there? And then I realized, like, oh, he's the shipboat captain. He's not part of the expedition. He's just <laughs> the guy that they contracted but, man, no, to bring him out on the water. So he's just chilling out. Yeah, but he is that. not afraid to exert his authority <laughs> when he needs to. Oh, God, I, I love it when he threatens Mark with a knife. Yeah. It's yeah. So good. Like, you know, I'm the captain. You know, I say what we so, do. <laughs> most of the time, I love Lucas for all of those reasons. He also, though, fits in with the other things that we we're talking about, about, hey, here's just dudes coming in and wrecking shit when they're driving down the, the river and, and he sees an alligator should be a crocodile, but it's very clearly an alligator and he blows his uh, his, his boat horn just to fuck with it, just to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, what right. are you going to do? Jump into my boat and it's it's those little touches that I feel like give so many of these characters life and personality to where even though like they're very, very clearly like this kind of character, I, I feel like they're not just like cardboard bland, you know, pointless people. They they all feel like they have personality. Mm. They might not all have a ton of depth, but I, I feel like they are all fully realized characters to where you can get their arc and you understand what they're doing and you feel kind of bad for them. I mean, even Mark at times, you're just like, ah, I mean, I don't necessarily really want him to be attacked. Do I? Maybe. I mean, I'm not mad about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, I'm not, I ain't mad, but also, uh, fine. also isn't Lucas the only per- character to, he returns in revenge, right? He's yeah. in revenge with the creature. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so great. (laughs) For like one scene. Uh, And also, they reuse some of the same footage. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty par for the course for a lot of those sequels. (laughs) They're kind of cash grab. The scene of him uh, tooting his boat horn and scaring the alligator, they reuse that exact scene. Uh, and they don't even like try to make sure that he's wearing the same shirt in the next scene. It's, uh, it's, it's That's really nice. funny. Isn't Jack, oh, Jack Arnold man. also directed the sequel, the first sequel at least. Yeah. And also tying this in. Okay. So, uh, there's a few other little things that I want to mention that are starting to stray even further from, uh, from the episode or from our, you know, full on analysis. So before I start mentioning some of these things, are there any other major components 
that either of you feel like we need to talk about because I think that we've covered most of the main ones. Everything else for me would just be additional examples uh, Mm -hmm. talking about stuff that we've already mentioned. So any other major components that either of you want to talk about? Nope. I think think I'm good. All right. So thing number one, tying Creature from the Black Lagoon into last month with our A24 uh, closing film of the lighthouse you remember the <laughs> scene where robert pattinson uh takes the seagull and just mercilessly beats it against the rocks mm-hmm. yes, sir. there's a scene in revenge of the creature where there is some sort of stork or egret or some other very you know tall long-legged long-necked bird just standing on a log it is a real bird it is very clearly a real bird is a very clearly real live bird that the creature pops out of the water, grabs it by its ankles, and yanks it underwater. And like <laughs> you see its arms flapping, and it's like, how? Ah, well, that's do, terrible. Do they have one of the no animals were harmed at the making of this movie? Because I don't think that they're working on that. I don't think one. that was a thing at this point. I, I think that that's how they got dinner that night. It, um,. Yeah, so maybe even um, maybe even the lighthouse was influenced by the creature movies. <laughs> I feel like most. I feel like a lot of movies <laughs> are influenced by Creature of the Black Lagoon. Like this is such a this movie seems like such a touchstone for so many filmmakers growing up, um, particularly for the filmmakers that we grew up on, like people like Spielberg and D- Joe Dante and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, all of those filmmakers are very, very clearly inspired by not just Creature, but from all of these Universal Monster movies. That's what I love about them so much. Um, you know, they kind of take the what's great and so elemental about the storytelling for these films. Yep. Thousand percent agree. The second thing, I I assume that both of you watched this, but I'm I'm gonna post it in uh, in our chat just in case you have not already watched this. So there is a video uh, that um, Frank Dietz uh, put together and, and posted where it is just a bunch of the clips of a man walking through just either throwing things or smashing things. And it's just the creature is cranky and it's just going through. And every time that he swats at something, he's like, fuck this, fuck this thing. Also mildly fuck this. It is great, and I love it, and if you watch this video, it is going to completely reshape how you watch uh, A Creature from the Black Lagoon next time, because every time every time that he swats at something, or throws something, or attacks someone, you're just going to be picturing him, picturing him saying, oh, fuck this, fuck you, and it's great, and I love it. <laughs> this thing somewhat. I'm sorry, you sent this earlier, and I forgot to go back and watch it. This is so this, this one where uh, it's from Revenge of the Creature, where he's trying to, where he is walking out of um, not SeaWorld <laughs> and like, guy. and he swats at the gate, but like, I don't think that he really knew where it was, and so he just kind of misses it. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the part where it says, uh, "Hold on, wait." It says, "This thing somewhat." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so good. Fuck this stupid relic. Oh, this is really funny. I love Frank Dietz. Uh, He's the he's the one who was part of the um, like he does he did like the Universal Monsters draft on screen drafts right he did indeed yeah yeah and so, shithead. <laughs> so shout out to Frank for uh, taking one of my favorite just, movies and making it even funnier 
the creature's just like an unstoppable killing machine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, the way he threw that guy off the railing is incredible. Like it, the, I don't think we've given the creature enough credit for being so strong. Yep, he is so strong. At one point, he lifts David up over his head in this movie. Yep, <laughs> like literally. And when they're in the cave, he picks David up and just like hoists him right above his head, like effortlessly. Yeah, which is just incredible, especially when you consider that like Ben Chapman probably can't see shit in that in that scene. <laughs> well and and that's one of the things that i think makes creature makes gilman so fascinating is there is a lot that's shown uh, throughout the trilogy about how strong he is and yeah like when he's lifting someone or in revenge he just like straight up lifts a car up um or in uh, uh in creature walks among us you know he's he he jumps out of the water and like almost Superman style, like out of the water, uh, lands <laughs> like, on the boat. What's the? Isn't there a Jason movie where he flies out of the water like that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, movies, I, yeah, like. I I am I am positive that there is. But yeah, like th- there are Did plenty say, of scenes. Oh, it has the picture. It has I'm sorry, I've looked at this video and it has him grabbing the bird. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's so insane. So, oh, he killed a cat too. That's crazy. So there, there are so many. Um, oh yeah, at one point he uh, he also kills a dog, but that happens off screen. But you do he see a so dog. But but there's sorry, so many things that you see script. in in the trilogy um, about how strong Gilman is, and he there's so much that he goes through. He gets shot multiple times. Uh, he gets roofied multiple times. He has uh, uh, harpoon guns with poison inside of them multiple times. He gets third degree burns from gasoline. Like he gets burnt a lot. Yeah. Like God, mm-hmm. the show when he gets hit with a lantern in this movie and his head catches on fire is really incredible. Yeah. It looks which, so good. <laughs> I can, uh, I shudder to think about whether or not they used like the actual, uh, mask during that, or if like they switched it out before that scene so that it, it wasn't burning like the real a, one. Yeah. It almost looks like there's a jump cut. It, it the way that it, it looks really good. I, f- I think, but it, there's something about it that looks like it is some kind of effect, like some kind of uh, uh, whenever they blend two different film stocks together. Yeah, because uh, I, I assume that they didn't have, you know, like hundreds of uh, of those masks that they could just keep churning out. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they, they go through so much to show how much he can go through. But then he also pretty easily gets captured a number of times. Like it's like he can be shot hundreds of times one roofie and he's out he can be caught on fire he can also just get punched in the face and knocked out and it's very inconsistent but in a way that i almost feel like actually makes it more realistic to where it's like he's not indestructible and there are still things that can you know bring him down a little bit but that's not always going to stop him and i love that the shape of water gives a clear explanation as to why at the end of each movie he is shown shot and drowning why he gets better because you know he has magic healing powers <laughs> totally part of headcanon absolutely makes sense yep the third thing and this is just based off of recent uh, events because i've been watching stranger things i want there to be a stranger things creature from the black lagoon mashup starring brett <laughs> gilman <laughs> Brett Gilman. <laughs> so what you're saying is that Brett Gilman's character is going to turn into like a holding like, <laughs> creature from the Black Lagoon. Like I, I want Gilman. I want the creature from the Black Lagoon 
to like be wearing cut off jean shorts, drinking a uh, white Russians conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I like it. It'd be fun. It seems like a thing that could happen. It is a thing that is already happening in my brain, and I, I so wearing glasses though. That's what I really want. Yeah, he has. He's He's wearing wearing glasses glasses and a beard. He has like a (laughs) yeah. He has a beard, so he could also he could almost be like a a little Nathan Gilman. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm totally on board with that. I think that's what you're what you're angling for here. uh, Yeah, pun intended. Where you're like. You're like a Brett. If if you turn Brett Gelman into Brett Gilman, he could probably pass for a Nathan Gilman. <laughs> oh man! A, a few years ago, um, a bunch of friends and I went down to Atlanta and did. He would know, be if he take, takes off his glasses. He would be Nathan Gilman. Well, we put some, it on. Sometimes Gilman. I wear glasses. So a few years ago, went down to really? Atlanta. Yeah, reading glasses. Not important. A few years ago. I didn't know that. Jesus Christ. A few years I just, ago. I just feel like I don't even know you anymore. I have no idea. I'm going to start muting you. A few years ago, I went down to Atlanta with some friends to do like an unofficial Stranger Things tour. Went to a bunch of places uh, where they had shot some of that stuff. Uh, a couple of my friends were, were extras in season two, three, season three. Uh, and then also extras in season four. Uh, but, but yeah, like went down there looking at a bunch of the stuff and, you know, because we're nerds, we all, you know, kind of dressed up in costume. And so naturally I went as, uh, as Murray and, mm. you know, wearing super short cutoff jeans and, you know, like a, a white tank top that is clearly way too small. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Let me, did, you have, your, did you have your little belly hanging out? Uh, mm. Yes. Have your tank top. Oh, yes. good. Love it. Are there photos of this? I need you to send me yes. these. Okay. Good. <laughs> let me tell you, if you do not know the freedom of wearing uh, cut off jean shorts that are too short, <laughs> there's something so freeing about walking into a store with cut off jean shorts that are too short. People, uh, people will leave you alone. And that just sounds it's great. Comfortable to me. I didn't say too tight. I said oh, yeah, I guess that's the point. I was thinking, I just assumed they were tight. I, you, they need to be snug to really go for the full effect. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're, it's freeing, but it's also secure. <laughs> I wish that more people listening to this could see Dan's face for the last 15 minutes. He's just like very like lightly shaking his head back yeah. and forth. He's just like, no. This is not an image I needed today. Hmm. I, I, I stayed up. I stayed up late for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. He's like, and on that note, I'm off to bed. Welcome well, y'all. on that note, uh, I think we probably go ahead and close <laughs> things out. Um, in, in case it's not clear enough, let me restate it. I fucking love creature from the black lagoon. It is amazing. I, I love it so much. I, I wish that we had covered Dracula's daughter. Really wanted us, really wanted us to talk about it, but I, I I couldn't even be the tiniest upset about the fact that we were talking about Creature. And when it won, I was like, ah, yay, we get to talk about Creature again. Dracula's daughter lost, but Creature, yeah, of of all the ones for it to lose to, Creature was one of the two that that I was going to be okay with. I. I love it so much. I, I I rewatched the well. I watched the sequels for the first time uh, these last few days because, sadly, I just hadn't gotten around to watching them. But I, I almost want to just 
rewatch Creature again tonight before bed. I, I love it that much. It's it's like a very warm, slimy, wet blanket, and <laughs> that's the best kind, right? <laughs> that's really what you want when you're going to bed. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I love yeah, it. I'm, I adore this movie. It makes me so happy. I'm thrilled about it too. I'm glad that I finally got to rewatch it mm-hmm. in the daytime, uh, where I could, uh, where I was conscious the entire time. Because yeah, this this shot so far up in my ranking. Like I went, I went from three and a half out of five to a four and a half out of five. Like I think this movie is practically perfect. I, it might even be like it might have even surpassed like Wolfman and Invisible Man in my estimation. So it's yeah, I think it might actually be my second favorite after. The Frankenstein's. Um, I really love it. It's so fun. It's so propulsive. It's really like the most thrilling. I think just on a pure visceral filmmaking mm-hmm. level, like it is so fast paced and energetic. And again, it's like the Jurassic Park of its time. It's it's fantastic. I uh, I had a great time with it this time. I'm so thrilled that we talked about it. That warms my. Heart. It is absolutely my favorite Universal monster film, and I. Don't ever see that. It's no, no caveats. It's just no, no caveats. It's just it, it. It makes me so damn happy to yep. watch this movie. So good. All that underwater stuff is amazing. Also, mm-hmm. I just want to point out that uh, I'm also a huge fan of the underwater sequence in the movie Thunderball. <laughs> There's like a 20 minute underwater shootout in Thunderball in case anybody has not seen it and also apparently Rico Browning did second unit directing nice. on that on that scene and I had no idea until just now I, I'm glad you at least tied that in I'm, I'm so glad you tied that in yeah I, I don't want to tie it in but I think that the Thunderball sequence is like amazing. you know what else is just a great underwater sequence you know, and, you know what else is a great underwater fight sequence top secret oh I thought you were going to say zombie Oh God, mm. zombie! Yes, also zombie. zombie. Uh, speaking of animal cruelty, um, <laughs> speaking of human cruelty, I'm pretty sure underneath that zombie makeup, you can see the "oh shit, the shark has me." <laughs> yeah, it does like bite his arm at one point. It's really insane. Yeah, uh, I've never seen Top Secret. <sighs> it's, it's wonderful. I can't believe. I, yeah, I've heard that it's great. It, that's the Val Kilmer one, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I need to watch Top yeah. Secret. Don't don't be surprised if uh, uh, spoofs uh, end up on our winter theme. Podcast. Oh, Ooh, that's that a good idea. Spoofs is a genre that I I grew up with the like uh, uh, Seltzer Freeberg era of spoof movies. So like growing up, mm-hmm. I hated spoof movies in general. But then I watched Airplane, and I was like, oh man, there this yes. movie's fucking. I, was saying, I grew up with Airplane and Naked Gun. Yep. So so yeah. I need to go back. I I kind of just like never checked out any of those movies because i thought they were all going to be just as bad as you know the spoof the types of spoofs that i grew up with which were basically just hey remember that thing from that trailer the other day we're going to put it in our movie and uh, do nothing with it <laughs> no. just, Air, just airplane airplane top secret hot shots to a lesser extent i still love hot shots but it starts straying a little bit a few too many robin, robin hood men in tights robin hood, i've men seen in spy tights. hard which I don't remember if it's any good or not, honestly. Uh, it's been I just remember the Weird Al hard. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of really great spoofs and even more terrible ones. Would something like uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid count as a spoof? Yeah, one hundred percent. Just curious. This is this is good. Uh, this is very relevant information for this. this it is episode. it is relevant. Um, it's, it's, it's yeah, Thunderball. The future of the podcast. Good underwater stuff. Did you guys know that Rico Browning is the creator of Flipper? 
Hmm. What the fuck? He, I, I'm like, <laughs> like he spawned a dolphin. What do you mean he's the creator no, of Flipper? He, he wrote and directed Flipper. Like he is, he created the series Flipper about the dolphin. Hmm. I did not know. And that. he also created Salty, which is the sea lion. I think that I knew that. This Somehow. is so weird. How did wh- what kind? Who is Rico Browning? Like what? Well, I guess he the, just really likes the water. Yeah, it's so funny. He's like, oh, I don't know. I want to work. I want to hang out with a dolphin all day. So, He's like, the I mean, most interesting man at the marina. I, I think <laughs> that you had to actually step away for a minute when Dan was talking about this, but. He's the dude in the the Gilman suit who could hold his breath for like five minutes underwater to film those scenes. That's yeah, well, he yeah, because he's holding his breath and he's not wearing goggles either because they didn't work in the suit. I guess okay. So Flipper started off as a movie, right? Or did it start off as a TV series? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at this. I'm just kind of blown away. At it. Okay, it was a movie first, yeah. and then it was a TV series. All right, let's close things out because this is obviously totally irrelevant, and Eric is starting to uh, go down the blowhole of uh, of IMDb. So. Oh, God, yeah. Are you, are you sure you didn't take your ADHD medication today? Oh, I 100% <laughs> did not ADHD medicine. I warned you guys up front. I am <laughs> off the handles right now. I'm almost out, and my doctor hasn't refilled it, so I'm saving <laughs> my other one for tomorrow. So, Dan, uh, mm-hmm. where do you want people to find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at HBO to Front Row and HBO to Front Row.com. And Eric, what lagoon uh, can people find you dwelling in? Uh, that would be Twitter, which uh, Black Lagoon is absolutely the best way to describe what Twitter is. Um, <laughs> I am on Twitter at the Chimerican, which is T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I'm also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. The, my personal Letterboxd is where I log everything that I watch. And the Video Monsters Letterboxd is where I will eventually, once I have time to actually, you know, <laughs> work on this and do it all, put it all together because, you know, I got kids. Uh, but once I have time, uh, that is where I'm going to be cataloging all of the reviews that we've done. Um, so that if you're a Letterboxd user, you can very quickly find find the reviews um, for the movies that we've covered also i'll also put together some lists so you know like if there's episodes that we've done where we talk about like six different movies i'll not put the review on all six of those movies i'll just lump them together in uh in a uh, list and put the link to the episode in the description that's the thing that I will work on once I eventually have time. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Just do a search for Video Monsters or, you know, wherever you are currently listening to it. Because you are obviously listening to it if you are listening to me say where to find us if you're listening to this. Like and subscribe <laughs> wherever you are currently listening to this. Uh, and then leave those five-star reviews and ratings. Let us know what you love about the show. And then go tell your friends, share the love of video monsters, get some more of that uh, love of cinema and weirdness and just silliness and fun wordplay and, you know, great jokes like Brett Gilman out into the rest of the world. <laughs> great jokes. This is great. The best. <laughs> this is some high quality podcasting right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
<laughs> and be sure to keep coming back uh, as we have a whole lot of Chattanooga Film Festival coverage to get through. We watched collectively a shit ton of movies. Um, most of that shit ton is falling on uh, me and Dan. But Eric, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Call me out. I'm just saying you didn't have as much of a chance to I watch as 22 many. things. Okay, yeah. 22. Yeah, 22 and 22. I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that. I'm look. I'm just saying. You unfortunately <laughs> you did not have a chance to. Not that you didn't try. Not that you didn't want to. It's just you know life and shit. It's just sadly you didn't have as much of a chance to. <laughs> but we. Yeah. We watched a whole lot of movies, and there's a lot to discuss about with a lot of them. We're not going to be able to go into as much depth with uh, with each of those movies as we would like to, in, in part because, you know, that's almost an entire year's worth of episodes if we did uh, a full review of every single movie, and also... You know, we don't want to spoil them since these are all new movies, except for, you know, a, a couple of older uh, kung fu flicks. We want to make sure to not spoil them. So we will be giving some of our general thoughts uh, and letting you know what some of our highlights were. And on pretty much every film, trying to give uh, at least at, at least one reason why everything that we saw should be seen and, and appreciated. Uh, but yeah, there's there was a ton of great stuff. Had an absolute blast. I barely slept last week. I, I think that I averaged four hours of sleep a night and that will definitely catch up with you and it'll stay with you for a while. Might still be tired, but we've got a whole lot of Chattanooga film festival coverage coming up. And then we also uh, are trying to work out a few interviews with some of the filmmakers. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, some of those might take a little bit longer just cause you know, sometimes scheduling is difficult after we get through all of our Chattanooga Film Festival coverage, uh, or as we are going through all of our Chattanooga Film Festival coverage, we are also going to be doing our July theme for musicals. Uh, so we are going to be talking about, we don't know what we're going to be talking about yet, because we still have to do our <laughs> musicals popcorn punch outs to, uh, to figure out what we're going to be uh, talking about. If you are listening to this very shortly after the episode is posted, be sure to go answer our survey and let us know what you want us to cover in our musicals theme. There are a lot of really, really, really great movies. And then a few of the ones that Eric added to the list. So make sure to let us know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let, let me rephrase that. There are some very, very, very clear video monsters picks and then some classy movies that are actually like traditional great musicals that yeah, not shit. Like what's the Darren Lynn Bousman film you put on there? Like some kind of carnival <laughs> shit. The, the, Repo. Like, no, 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 it wasn't no, no. Repo. There's Devil's uh, Carnival. Devil's Carnival. <laughs> Devil's yeah. Carnival. Yeah. What, the, what is that movie? <laughs> it's about the Devil's Carnival uh fair point so i mean come on that, that's absolutely a video monsters movie uh right there so so yeah if you're listening to this very shortly after it's posted make sure to go and answer that survey it's linked on social media uh just follow us again at video monster pod and and you'll be able to find that link let us know what you want us to cover 
and then also be sure to follow us in a discord. The link for that is posted in the description of, uh, of this episode. So just wherever you are listening to this, scroll down, find the link, join us in discord, be a part of the conversation. Uh, you can also then be a part of our live episodes, which take place usually Tuesday nights at nine. Uh, sometimes they get moved around a little bit, but we shoot for Tuesday nights at nine. Uh, and then when we do our popcorn punch out video rack attack bracket, uh, you can be a part of that and potentially even shape what we are going to be covering as we are discussing it. So join us in discord and be a part of that. <sighs> yeah, I think man, that was, that was a mouthful, my friend. Good That's, job. I, I'm running on steam at this point. <laughs> my hat's off to you. <laughs> my, mm-hmm. my gills off. Um, so yeah, like subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I think that's it. Is there anything else? I think that's it. No. Um, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, sorry for spoiling it, but go watch it now because it's great. Like I said at the beginning, it can't be spoiled. Just enjoy the experience of it. It's, it's a monster movie from the 50s. The creature dies at the end. Or does he? Oh, done. Done. It's one of the things I like. It's kind of up in the air. They kind of just let him go. Well, it's, after, it's down after, in the like, Not so much him. up in the air. Like, I will let him bleed out. Yeah. <laughs> very Batman-y with it we're not going to kill him we're just not going to save him yeah, after exactly. we shoot him <laughs> it's yeah They're like oh that poor creature I can't believe he's he's bleeding out right now <laughs> who did that Man. again oh wait it was us well especially because like at one point after he's been shot after he is clearly suffering the good guy of, of the group is like no let him be it's like dude you are not being sympathetic right now. You are literally yeah, put him, him out of his misery for God's sake. Yeah, it's. I got issues Poor with the creatures in this movie. It's so sad. It's so sad when he stumbles back into the water. It is. It is probably one of the most sympathetic of all of the Universal monsters because he's not a monster. He is just a creature. You know, it's. It, yeah. He wasn't attacking people till so they invaded his swamp. Yep. And unlike uh, unlike David in this film, we should uh, do the merciful thing and let this episode die. <laughs> All right. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>